If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the words of the Lord. We are in our Advent series where we're going through the names of Jesus and um, we see this, it's very important, even in the way that we introduce ourselves to other names carry importance. So for instance, um, we might tell our neighbors the house that we're in so they know where we would live and how to relate to us from where we're at. We may tell a teacher that, oh, I'm so-and-so's parent so they can relate to us and know who we are. We may know someone that we encounter through our jobs. We may tell them our title so they can understand how to relate to us or what we do. Uh, and, and I'm always proud to say, oh, I'm Bridget's husband. That's a title. I like, and people know, if they know Bridget, not me, they know how to relate to that. And um, we're doing the same while we explore the names of Jesus so that we might understand him better and know how to interact with him in this season of Advent where we're waiting for Christ to return again. And last week, the title that we covered, the title of Jesus was Christ. And somehow last week, a Marvel Black Panthers quote and a Walking Dead quote was worked in to the title of Christ. It was amazing. And I'm not sure I am that hip or that cool, but I am really excited about this week's name, which is Lamb of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, in this season, in this time, in this space, we just stop to say you are an amazing God. And Lord, we ask that today we would be able to set aside the busyness of our minds and focus in on you. Lord, speak to us today. Bring us closer to you. Draw us in this morning. Amen. The verse that we just read, John the Baptist rolls on the scene and he says, uh, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to wait for something, and I'm not talking about something bad, but something that you perceive as good and you're stuck waiting. For my wife and I, when we got married, we quickly learned that we were not able to conceive a child. The good news for us is that medically speaking, they, they, there was hope for us. And so we were holding out that, hey, one day we're gonna be able to have this child. And then year one goes by and no child. Year two, no pregnancy. Year three, no pregnancy. Year four. And as time begins to go on, you just begin to almost just keep going. And while that good news is out there, you just kind of go through the motion. Some of you are in that either waiting for children, or maybe you're waiting for that spouse, that significant partner. And you're in that thing where you're believing that God has something for you, but you're in that spot where you're holding on and you're waiting that tension of that moment. And that's the exact time that the people of God are in when he comes on the scene and John makes this statement, behold the Lamb of God. You see, all the way back at the Garden of Eden in the very beginning when earth was created, Adam and Eve sinned. And as they are being sent out of the garden, God gives them a promise that one day there is one coming who will crush the head of the serpent that caused the sin. One day there is one coming that will take care of sin for all time. 
The people John was speaking to also know because they know about the Passover, the great Passover in Exodus, where everybody was told, eat of a lamb, partake of a lamb, consume a lamb, and then take its blood and put it on the doorpost of your house. And then it didn't matter what sins you had committed that day, what had happened in your life before that. It didn't matter what tribe or if you were raised in the people of God, anybody who consumed the lamb, anybody who looked as a, and it's interesting that pattern, even symbolic on the doors of what was coming, but anybody, it's the angel of death came over. Anybody that had consumed and believed and looked to the blood was saved and spared. And so these people had been now, that was 1,300 years ago. And for 1,300 years at the moment this statement is made, behold the Lamb of God, when this statement is made, every year they had been eating a meal to remember that Passover event and to remind them that Jesus is coming again. There is a Lamb of God coming. In Exodus 29, they begin every day at the temple. A lamb's offered in the morning. Lambs are offered in the evening as a sacrifice to take away your sins looking forward. In Isaiah 53, we hear about a lamb that is coming that would one day be the future to deal with sin. We get a gentle lamb in Jeremiah 11, and eventually we get a triumphal lamb that is ruling and reigning. They've been waiting since the beginning of time, since the garden, through all of this hundreds and thousands of years. And now at this moment, in one second, John makes the statement, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. A statement that if true, would not only change their lives, but history forever. And like me hearing that my wife was pregnant it was easy for me to actually dismiss and not believe. My actual, when she told us we were pregnant the first time, I actually said, uh, you need to go double check that. Go take that. I wasn't excited. I was like, yeah, good. go make sure. We had our first child at five years in, and then we go 10 years with no child. You get pregnant again. It's kind of like the church right now. Like, right, we, we, we waited for Jesus. Now we're in this period waiting again. And, and we had just gotten rid of all of our babies to almost all of our baby stuff. We had just gotten rid of it. I had given up all hope. And you think I would have learned. But the second time when she says, hey, good news, we're pregnant. Instead of rejoicing, I still go, I'm not sure that's right, honey. You maybe need to double check. And there were people when they heard this news that that's how they reacted to Jesus coming on the scene. And that's why I started earlier with the scripture reader. I didn't start at him saying, behold the Lamb of God. I started with them questioning him and they were questioning saying, are you Jesus? They have been looking for Jesus, but in this case, the people who are questioning John the Baptist have so gotten involved with their religion, have so gotten involved in studying the Bible and knowing this and knowing that, that they're actually trying to prove that this moment is here. They're actually trying to trip him up. They're so ingrained in church culture and in their religion that they have forgotten to look that Jesus is here. He's coming. But then there were others that embraced Jesus and their lives were changed forever. Today, as I'm talking, every single one of you in this room is faced with the same decision. Will I put my trust in the Lamb of God or will I try to do life without him? Maybe even a life of religion. And one thing that makes it tricky for us, especially if you're newer to Christianity or the Bible, is we might be confused by the significance of a lamb. If I were to ask you what you picture when you hear lamb of God, we might see the lamb as a weak, fragile animal. And we get an image possibly of a weak, fragile Jesus. But do we have the correct picture if our definition of a lamb is weak and fragile? I mean, this lamb, Jesus, is the same lamb that and the face of Pharisees called him a brood of vipers. 
I personally have said some things behind people's back that I regret or I shouldn't have. He is in their face, not sinning, accurately calling them, you brood of vipers. This gentle, meek lamb is the one that went into the temple and flipped over tables and temples and made whips and drove people out. This gentle Jesus is the one that called Herod a fox, looked at one of his closest friends and allies and said, get thee behind me, Satan. And in Revelation, this gentle Jesus is presented as a lamb. It calls him a lamb, but it talks about how he's ruling on the throne. If we think a lamb means weak, it sounds like we might be off on our understanding. Also adding to the confusion, if we know our Bible a little or you've been around church culture a little bit, you may have heard that if you're a Christian, you're sheep. But there's a difference between sheep and a lamb. The reference of sheep is to highlight God's heart of being a good shepherd. God wants to provide for us, care for us. He wants us to find rest. And so there's this shepherding God. And while if you're a Christian, you're considered a sheep, none of us are worthy to be the lamb. We're not qualified. There is only one lamb, and it's through this one lamb that we all become part of the family of God. So people, but, but the people that John is speaking to, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. These people know what this good news meant. You see, in the center of Jerusalem at that day, there was a giant temple. And just like when we visit places, we check out landmarks that are significant. People would come to check out the, the landmarks. And whether you were Jewish or even if you were non-Jewish, you were allowed to come in and pray and worship. There were rooms for women to pray. There were rooms for men to pray. There were rooms for baby or, or children to pray. There were rooms for priests to pray. You could come in. And on top of that, every day you could offer a sacrifice. Every single day at the temple, there was a guilt offering. People recognized that, that they sinned, that they displeased God, and those sins had to be reckoned with. And those sacrifices were offered every single morning and every single evening, and it had been that way for hundreds and hundreds of years. Every day at the temple, lambs being offered and sacrificed. By the way, in the temple, when they received it, the blood went on the doorpost of frame. Just another reminder that this is looking towards a sacrifice that's coming one day. This was all done knowing that one day the lamb was coming that would provide a way to be for sins forgiven, that they would never, ever, ever have to do another sacrifice in the temple. And just to clarify sin, I find we can often get it backwards. We think sin is an action. We sin Therefore, we're sinners. But the reality of what the Bible teaches us is that we are actually sinners. We're corrupted at birth. From day one, we are sinners, and therefore, we sin. If sin is only seen as behavioral, then we have the right to sit back. We have the right to judge other people. We can make rules to get out of things. We can eventually earn our way to goodness. We think we can even find a What's, we start thinking, what's wrong with me? I, don't, I just need to do what's correct. But if it's something deeper, then we need to deal with it in a way that goes beyond changing behavior. Jeremiah 17, 9 puts it this way. The heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It is a state that we are in, not a behavior that we do. We can get off track real quick thinking morality. 
our actions can get us into the presence of God, that somehow having it all together makes us acceptable. The Bible, however, compares all of our good works as filthy rags before God. The darkness and brokenness in us is not unnamed. It's called sin and brokenness. It's falling short the glory of God. And now Jesus is on the scene to deal with it. One preacher preaching on this said, trying to bring your deeds before God is like trying to impress others with your accomplished when you're standing in front of the Grand Canyon or at the base of Mount Everest. Picture for the first time you're at Mount Everest with your friends and right as you get there and you're looking up at his majesty and all of it, you look at it and you go, have I ever told you I'm a really good cook? Like I might be able to be on one of those cooking shows. I can cook some mean food. And in the Mount of Mess, on Everest, your friends are like, what, what? What are you talking about, right? Or in the Grand Canyon, you get there and you've been driving and you get there and all your friends get out of the car. Hey, do you know I earned a college degree? I'm really, really impressive. They're like, dude, it's the Grand Canyon. What are you talking about? This guy said, standing in front of greatness like that takes our breath away and trying to show how great you are is foolish. Yet we can easily go there and think that before the greatness of God, somehow we can stand on our own deeds. In other words, sin is far more complex than our outward behaviors. There is something corrupt with us that must be dealt with in order to be in the presence of an incorruptible God. Because we're all sinners, not one of us is worthy and now enter Jesus, born sinless, having never sinned his entire life. And now he offers his life in exchange for ours, saying, I will take their punishment. Makes me think of a news story that I saw several years ago. The headline reads this, a father's sacrifice. Hero pushes disabled son out of path of car and dies as he takes the full impact. George Tyson, 61, pushed Gary out of the path of an oncoming car, but took the full impact himself. He was killed almost instantly. 32-year-old son was airlifted to the hospital and later discharged after being treated for only minor injuries and shock. Now listen to what his daughter says. My dad died doing the thing he loved most. He was walking with my brother Gary down the coast. God's desire is that we would walk with him. God's desire is that he enjoys his children and he is willing to give his life in our place. Now that we understand a little more the importance of this moment, a little more importance of the lamb, I just wanna take a few minutes to go into the importance of what is said in that verse and how it's said. So let's look at how he, uh, this moment and what he says. We find John saying, behold, do we have that verse? There it is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I believe there is significance not just to what this statement was, but to how the statement is made. Understanding it's important is important. Understand how it's said it's important to receiving the Lamb of God. You see, at this moment, he could have introduced him and tried to do it. I mean, it's been waiting all time. He could have tried to make it like, you know, I, I don't know if you watched Jimmy Fallon on the Tonight Show, you know, but he could have been like trying to be like, here's your host, Jimmy Fallon. I just saw the older people check out. So it's called the Tonight Show. It's here's Johnny. All right. And like I said, I'll not try to do the funny references because he's really good with the Black Panther stuff. Anyway, um, in reality, he could have said it this way. He could have said, look, the Lamb of God. He could have removed any action from this statement at all and just simply said, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
but he uses an action word as he introduces Jesus. He uses the word behold, and this is key. To behold something goes beyond a casual glance or observing. It implies taking it in. It provokes something of awe. To behold a beautiful sunset speaks to its beauty and grand scale. Behold is an active word that causes us to put focus on something. It's a term that we use in our modern day vocabulary. You might find that you say something like this some, sometime. You should have seen whatever it is. It was something to behold. It's more than just looking. John is telling us all, set your focus upon him, affix your attention. It's not just that he arrived, but there is now a response to his arrival. There's another moment in scripture where someone holds, uh, holds Jesus. It's a powerful moment, and, or actually beholds Jesus, sorry. And it's actually why Bridget and I named our son Simeon. And I like tell, I always said, if I ever preach around Christmas time, I'm gonna talk on this because this happened when Jesus was eight days old. So it's right in the middle of the Christmas story. And what's amazing about this, let's look at this verse. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel. And check this out, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into, the, I love this part, think about this for us. He came in, uh, in the spirit into the temple. In other words, his daily routine, what he was doing every day, he came in the spirit and the power of God. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry for him the custom of law, he took them into his arms and blessed God and said, now think about this. He is one of the few people in the Bible who understand that this Jesus at this age and this time, he knows that this is the Jesus that is gonna save the whole world. And as he takes the baby into his eyes, he has duties that he's supposed to do. But as he looks down into the eyes of this baby, he understands that this baby staring back at him is the very God that created him. He knows that if he were to accidentally drop this baby, angels would swoop down because not a hair on his head will be harmed. And as he's looking and beholding Jesus, Something interesting happened is instead of just doing his normal duties, he can't help it. He begins to overflow with prophecy and he starts prophesying and he says things like this. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. He's staring at Jesus. He's beholding them. And he says, he's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Guys, it takes the church leaders years after this to realize that Jesus isn't just here for the Jews, that he's here for all people. And he's saying, he's a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And he doesn't stop there. He goes on and then he starts prophesying over Mary and over Joseph. And then pretty soon you find there was a prophetess named Anna that was there. She was a daughter of Phanuel. And after her husband had died, she was, uh, I think, 70 years after her marriage, I think 84 years old. Man, we don't stop. We all have purpose in God. Every single one of us at 84 years old, she's been praying and fasting in the temple. And at that moment, she comes up and, and giving thanks to God, it says, she continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption in Jerusalem. You see, when we behold Jesus, when we slow down our lives, when we set our affection on him, God begins to do a great thing. And we can really get this wrong. John 15, verses 9 to 11. 
says this. And by the way, these are red letters in the Bible. If you're newer to the Bible, anytime you see red letters, the whole Bible is inspired by God. But when you see red letters, this is what history is recorded are the actual words of Jesus. Jesus says this, just as the Father has loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. A lot of abiding. These things I have spoken to you so that you, so that joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I want to slow down and have us just focus on this for a second because we get this wrong. Chances are, if you are listening, you notice that right in the middle, if you keep my commandments, and we begin to think, man, we've got to do, we've got to do, we've got to do. But notice that keep my commandments is bookend with the same phrase on both sides, right in the middle of this. On one side, it says what? Abide in my love. Keep my commandments. And then what does it say? Abide in my love. It's not keep my commandments and you'll abide in my love. Keep my commandments. It's abide in my love keep my commandments, abide in my love. And there is a joy that is coming. And it says, there is a joy that is made full. If we will abide in his love, if we will set our focus on Jesus. John is making the statement, slow down, stop what you're doing and behold the lamb of God. If you keep reading this chapter and it's be a fun thing for you to do as you go home, just finish reading this John chapter one because what's interesting is John starts going and telling people, behold the lamb of God and their story after story of people who behold him. They literally drop everything they're doing. Their life is changing a moment and they begin pursuing and following Jesus. We can get going so fast that we forget the power of when we first became a Christian. Remember when we slowed down, we focused on Jesus we felt the weight of our sins come off. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if we together as a church, if we really were captivated, embraced, and just Jesus became our consuming all? I once was at an event at the White House of the United States, and uh, it wasn't for the current president, but I remember in the moment up to that point, I had only seen the president speaking on like YouTube and at news things and different events. And so, you know, that, that was how I knew him. And then in the moment when you're standing there and he's in front of you and you can see his mouth moving, you can hear him audibly, but then he's also coming out to the speakers and you know that it's also being broadcast on TV and there's something surreal about, it. he's right there, there he is. And the group of people that I left with that day, we were walking to go out to eat. And as we were walking to go out to eat, we were consumed with talking about what our take was after seeing it that day. Hey, did you notice what he said to his wife? Did you notice? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know? And we begin to be consumed. With it. What if we as a church, we were consumed because we were slowing down. We were beholding God and our talk, our language, our lives literally became about the Lamb of God. And it's what we were excited about because he was at the forefront of all we were doing, a church that's a buzz with that. In our last eight minutes, I want to look at this statement again, and I want us to focus in on another thing that is said. John makes this statement. And what's interesting about this statement, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is before Jesus dies on the cross. So it might have been more appropriate to say, behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Or John, like Simeon, he's one of those dudes in the Bible, one of those rare guys. He actually knows 
what Jesus' purpose is, what's happening, he could have been prophesying and, and said with a clear conscience, behold, the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. It would have been a truthful statement, but it's another active word. Look at what he says. He takes away the sin of the world. This is important to note because at every single moment, Jesus is actively dealing with sin. This is important to note um, because whether you're here because you already know Jesus and you love Jesus, maybe you're new and you're just checking out church stuff. Maybe you're here because there's baby dedications today and you're like, dude, just get off the stage. There's a baby coming. Maybe you're a knifer middle school parent and you thought there was a school parent meeting and you're in the room going, what is going on? No matter what has you in the room today, we're all linked in one thing in that we all sin. But there are some in this room that are really struggling with the results and the weight of sin. Either guilt from our past, sometimes before we are Christians, current guilt from our sins, current disobedience, mistakes that you find yourself walking around and, and what you end up with is you feel, not only that you've sinned, but you feel shame. Maybe even as I've been talking today, you're hearing Jesus' love for you, but you think, not me. You don't know my story. You don't know what I'm about. You don't know what I'm involved in. You don't know what I've done. I mentioned earlier that God's people would give offerings for a lamb morning and evening. But what's interesting, uh, we, we as a church, we've been reading through the Bible. And, and as we read it afresh this, this year, we got to a portion where we were reading about the sacrifices. And it was so incredible how everyone is significant. I would just recommend reading that one or two chapters. It was incredible how each one was so special, but they had all different kinds of offerings and sacrifices. They had grain offerings, drink offerings, peace offerings, wave offerings, Thanksgiving offerings, and they all had their reasons, but something that I had never noticed before, and I don't know how I didn't notice this, there is a sin offering to deal with their sin, but then there was another offering because even after you sin, you mess up and there was an offering called a guilt offering. And you would come in and you would present this animal and this animal was to deal with the shame. It was to deal with the guilt. It was so that God, when Jesus is dealing with the sin as the lamb, this offering was saying, not only are you forgiven, not only is your sin dealt with, but you don't have to carry the shame. Sin can affect others. It can affect us. And as they gave the lamb, they would look ahead to one day Jesus was coming, not just forgiven of the sin, but of the shame. Jesus wants you to know that God not only forgives you and your sins through the Jesus, but he wants to re re remove your guilt. And some of you need to comprehend and hear this statement afresh. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He takes them away completely if you're trusting God, if you're looking at him. He removes your sins, your mistakes, your guilt, your shame. Some in this room have genuine guilt from abortions, failed marriages, adultery, poor parenting, theft, whatever the mistake. God wants you to know that by putting your trust in him, by following him, not only does he forgive you of your sins, but he looks with love and he removes all of the guilt that is associated with it. You are a dear child to him. And in case there's any confusion, there's a chapter in the Bible in Hebrews that, Hebrews that actually deals with the fact that we don't have to do sacrifices anymore. And this is what it says. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. 
Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. In other words, there is nothing you can do. Jesus has done it all. He forgives you. He loves you. Your sin is removed. Your guilt. I'd like the musicians to go ahead and start coming back up here. And I'm going to do something a little different this morning. If you're on the prayer team this morning, instead of waiting to your normal time, could you go ahead and just move to the back corner right now if you're on the prayer team this morning? If you're here today and you feel like this, this message is for you. And the way you'll know that is that you just feel like I'm talking directly to you today. If you feel like as I'm talking, I'm talking directly to you, there's one of two things I want you to do, or you can do both. We're about to stand up and sing some more, put our focus on God. As we do, behold the Lamb of God. Actually think about the words. Let them wash over you. Connect with God again. Feel his forgiveness again, because he wants you to know every day, today is a fresh start. This moment of time is a fresh start. Your sins are forgiven. Your guilt is removed. And also, if you have something that's weighing down, you have guilt and shame, feel free. You can go to the prayer team. You can tell them. You can bring that thing into the light and just feel acceptance and love and forgiveness and have people stand and pray with you. And then I'm going to do something different than what I normally do when I speak. I'm also going to go stand in the back. And the reason is, if you're here today and you're realizing, I know that what he's saying is right. I know that I've been trying things in my own way, my own strength, and it's not right. I want to know this Jesus. I want to behold him. You can pray as we're singing. You can just pray and just tell God that. Say, God, I know I've messed up. I know I've fallen short, but I want to be forgiven. I want to know you. I want to follow you. And you will enter into a new relationship with God today. And I'm happy to pray with you today myself. I'm happy to introduce you to Jesus. It'll be an exciting morning.